Yeah, man, it's true. Like, I think we don't understand how difficult it is for people out there, but at the same time, how inspirational some people are in terms of what they're doing, where they've come from, and how they are able to, you know, get through it. I was like, bam, son. It is amazing. So, uh, yeah, man, and one of them was was always going to be you further down the line. I remember seeing you on carte blanche and I was like, yeah, it's my boy. <laughs> you know, but at the same time, to unpack the story behind um, to, you know, your journey, because it's to me, it's all about learning and being an inspiration to others. You know, so I'm sure that your journey is packed with ups and downs, lessons learned. And yeah, man, to me, I've just realized that, yeah, man, I dig, I dig hearing people's stories. So that's the essence of it, man, is to say the social development aspect. How do we create this digital platform that we are able to learn from one another? And that's pretty much how it started. But going, uh, yeah, going into the IT sphere with no understanding of what the hell is going on. But as a true entrepreneur, you take the risk and figure it out along the journey. But Jesus, it's been daunting, man. <laughs> social media and, and tech. Man, I'm old school, you know, like I come from brick and mortar. Like I said, when I, when I first did the Instagram, I was like, how the hell does this thing operate? And then they get the prompts that say, you know, who to follow. And I saw The Rock and I was like, holy crap. I was like, bro, I was said to my wife, Rocks, you'll never guess. I've been live for three minutes and Dwayne The Rock Johnson is following me. All the way around. She said, no, 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 no. But I'm just saying that's the naivety that I had um, going into it. So, uh, yeah, and I think there's lessons to be learned. I mean, I'm sure when I just read through the work that you've done, that social element is it's something bigger than than us. And that's what I want to be part of, man. Um, it looks like you're enjoying it. Enjoy yeah. The next adventure. Yeah, it's definitely aligning it with business. I love tech. I love business. Um, I love you know, I love wanting what's best for others. And like I said, it's funny, I got to a stage when I was in the property sphere and I said, I felt like I was just going around in circles, man. And it didn't become about the money. You know, as I said, there's a purpose. There's something bigger. And I was trying to figure out what it was. And then I just sat down one day and I just said, you know, what makes me happy? I was like, I help, like helping people. I like tech. And I like business. So... Let's figure out a way to put all, all the two and two together, or the three and three together. And that's where we landed. Okay, and, and, and you also like stories. Yeah, yeah but I think everyone's life is a story. That's the beauty of it. You know, it's like a DNA. It's, everyone, it's, it's unique. And, you know, I've learned through my own experiences as well that we're all unique. We all got a story. But how do we all get to the same common goal? You know, how do we all get down to the red carpet? And that to me was the important thing. I mean, I did a podcast the other day about with Gordon Graham about the lessons I've learned in Ironman and how very similar they are to life and the principles that I've learned about, you know, being an entrepreneur and having an iron will. So, yeah, man, it's, it's awesome. It's awesome, man. Like I said, social impact is cool. It is really, really cool. I'm sure you share the same, the same, um, the same outlook as well. Now, how do we use, um, how do we use tech and business to make a difference? Yeah. And then always the, the goal is, you know, how do you how do you make money and make a difference at the same time? Yeah. That's, that's the ambition. 
Yeah. And I actually did the, I published uh, Dave Hutchison from Sexy Socks yesterday. And he's got a beautiful model um, about uh, how businesses can be uh, responsible for social development. And his model on a one-to-one, buy one and you, they donate to pay. And their business model is fantastic because they charge a premium, but not knowing that that premium actually supplements that pair of socks given to the township schools. And you just hear this guy speak and you just realize that we, we need people, you know, that are spearheading these initiatives. These are the guys that we need to support. These are the guys that we need to give light to. And out of everything as well, it's just, you know, working towards social development is, is cool. Yeah, and I agree. How do you find the balance? You know, but, you know, do you align it that says you find purpose and success and profitability is a byproduct of getting that right? And passion. And it's easier to be passionate about something that does good. Yeah. Imagine a boring, you know, imagine a horrible be doing something that you know, didn't add to the world. Yeah. It must be very hard to get out of bed in the morning. Yeah. And I think that we've we've all we've all been in that. Well, I think most entrepreneurs. I mean, you've also um, when you started, you know, we were working in the corporate world, and then you broke free. But to take that leap, that's you know, I think a lot of people get stuck at that. That uh, how do you get out of that comfort bubble? You know, and uh, the passion aspect is something that pulls you. You know, what pushes you and what pulls you. But I mean, for you as well, when you decided to go on your own and take the leap what were the feelings like i was quite lucky that it wasn't really alone i had a a girlfriend at the time who was supporting me and you know she became my wife um i also (laughs) plugged into existing (laughs) it it was nice it was never alone there were always people around and i was very lucky to have that um so it never felt like it it always felt a little bit natural and yes it felt like it was like a risk and everything else in the background but it wasn't it wasn't done in isolation it's yeah that's yeah. awesome man to to have that but i mean there, there, there must have been times as well knowing the the challenges that are lying ahead i mean to go into because everything i mean like i said i was going through the the portfolio and i mean you've got a flipping impressive portfolio i was like man and I think, goodness, Bruce Buffer is not announcing this because then it's going to be in the right, in the right corner, Craig Rivet, and then in the left, Ryan Ward. I'm like, uh, yeah. <laughs> but um, it's the it's the social element that I love about it, man. You know, behind everything, the deep rooted social impact. But I mean, has that always been part of your DNA? It, not really in the beginning. I, I said and. We often, like, we live in bubbles. We don't really see what's happening out in the world. The thing that really got me going was, so I was working as an economist, you know, sort of a corporate job, and realized that it wasn't, it just wasn't my calling. And I was going into a, a back office, looking at data all day, not really talking to anyone, not, it was, it was life with blinkers on. Um, so I realized that, you know, I knew what I didn't want to do in life was, you know, what I was doing. So my lucky break is I, I contacted a guy named Alan Not Craig. Um, he used to be the CEO of Mixit and he had helped that whole story. And I, I didn't know much about him, but I knew that he was an entrepreneur and that was what I wanted to you know, be in life. So I reached out to him and he said, cool, let's, you know, let's go for coffee. Um, we got on very well. And he said, you know, he doesn't know what he's going to do in life, but come, let's go try to do something. 
So I went into work, quit my job, I phoned my parents afterwards and said, you know, sorry, mom, dad, I um, studied for a long time. I'm, you know, got the job as an economist. It was like the sort of the dream for as long as I can remember. Um, walked out and we tried a few things, but where we stumbled, where we ended up is we set up a nonprofit to just um, introduce free Wi-Fi in townships. Uh, it's his way. And project is his way. And the realization, it took a little while, but we suddenly realized that there was such a, most people in South Africa don't have access to affordable internet. Now we, everyone's got, you know, this access to internet. The trouble is that most people can't afford it. And if you're on 3G, it's just expensive. And it's priced outside of the sort of an area where most people can afford. And the problem with that is it's not the, just the digital divide. It's not the fact that you connect the internet. It's the fact that you can't, you're excluded from so many important things in the world. You know, excluded from listening to this podcast. Um, so that was the sort of the driver. And it was the sort of catalyst to realizing that you can use tech to solve more problems. And then, so that was, so Project Isizwe um, was, um, was the initial one. But I'm fascinated by Namola, that, uh, that app, because that seemed that there was also a bridge or a gap that needed to be fu uh, uh, fulfilled, but also at the same time creating uh, or connecting communities to a safe environment. How was that one? How was that one born? So that one came out. We were so I was living in Cape Town in Stellenbosch, and my girlfriend was there, the one, the one who became my wife, mm. um, the one that is my wife. Um, <laughs> and I was traveling to Pretoria quite a lot because that's where we were doing a lot of the assessment work. And we realized that whenever I was gone, I felt unsafe for my, my girlfriend staying at home alone. You know, that was the. And then we sort started looking at the problem where. If our alarm goes off, and I think we were an ADT customer at the time, the on-response card that was closest to us wasn't ADT, which means that you know the, the allocation of resources was there's an overlap of resources. There are a lot of on-response cards, but they don't work together. And then you look at the problem one step out, where there are a lot of people who understand safety, you can help, but they've got no way of knowing that you're in trouble. And there's no efficiency in how do you get help when you need it. And you're starting from the, you know, private security, you've got all these private security companies who run the silos. Um, in your communities, you've got you know, ex-flying squad members, you've got guys who are passionate. There are people across the country who get in cars at midnight and drive around their neighborhoods to make sure they're safe. And there's incredible passion in safety and security. Um, and then in public sector, you've got all these public sector silos who could be helping or could be coordinating, but they don't. You know, you've got Metro Police, you've got SAPS, you've got traffic, you've got you know, guarding services. They, the whole thing is built in these little silos and these little sort of um, independent units, and there's no way to connect them. So the original plan was we tried to connect private security companies. So we launched a very little pilot in Stellenbosch called Stellisafe, where we got a whole of the private security companies together to try to respond to emergencies in the town. And we quickly realized it wasn't going to work. There was no way that we were going to get the private security companies to come together. You know, in pockets maybe, but we were never going to get it at scale. So we needed a big partner to do it correctly. So we reached out to all the Metro Police and all the policing departments to see who would, like, who could help us, who could be the big brother to get it going. And we got lucky with City of Twine, so Pretoria. 
the Metro Police there is innovative. They decided to try a pilot. So we we rebranded from Steady Safe. You know, it wasn't going to work in, in Joburg, in Pretoria, <laughs> and launched Namola there. And at its original core, it was, you know, we were in the heyday of the growth of Uber. So we've had an app, you press a button, it would find your nearest cop car and that come up. And then we started adding um, cartoon community safety to the same platform. And all of a sudden we had two law enforcement agencies that were working together to, you know, get to you. Um, over time, we, we rolled it, um, we started adding providers and our big step was when we started adding communities to it. So we started adding um, um, neighborhood watches, CPFs, uh, community responders who would work in unison with law enforcement. So a lot of emergencies, you can have a, you know, a um, armed response company can come help, but you need the cops to come to open the, the to, to um, actually get the legal process going as well. So we could facilitate that all in that. Um, and the, so that was the sort of the safety story. The one thing I realized is safety is hard. You know, it's, it's a hard problem to solve. And it's not a problem that I'm super passionate about, you know, relatively to, to the <laughs> many people in SA, or many people around the world. So you know, a couple of years after starting it, I stepped out and we brought in a team that were better at that problem than I was. Mm. So I, I was involved in the model right in the beginning of the journey, but stepped away from it. It was a little bit sad, but it, it was the right thing to do for the business and for me to find something I was more, you know, more excited about. Yeah, absolutely. But it, it seems like that all came together for the community, but also, you know, including the community. Um, and um, yeah, that's, you, you're saying that in the beginning, when it didn't work, I, when it was going through the challenging times, were, because I'm sure through your journey as well, there's been some ups and downs as well. When you started that and you were passionate about it and you were driving it and it didn't go according to plan, you know, and as most entrepreneurs get those days where, you know, the fear, anxiety, is it all worth it, starts knocking on your door. What, when you went through those moments, what was, what was the one thing that kept on get, getting you through the day? What kept on moving you forward? It was the idea that we were solving a real problem. And even though it wasn't a problem that I was super passionate about, it was still real and it was still meaningful and it was still close to home. You know, they, you know one thing about where we live is it's unsafe. You know, we all know that and we all want to be able to fix that problem. So that was the big motivator. But there were many of those moments where you have the sort of nagging feeling in the back of your head. You don't, you know, am I doing the right thing? Is this, you know, yeah. can and we, can, you know, can we solve, can we have a dent in the problem? Yeah. Can we create then, a dent in the problem? And then can we get through the month financially? I'm sure that's always the, you know, at the end of the yeah, month. We've had many of those. <laughs> and, sleep, and sleepless nights. But the, the, so the common, ele the common element was knowing that there's, there's a lot of people that are finding it difficult and that you are potentially coming with a solution that is going to help make their lives better. Yeah, it's a solve a real world problem. Mm. And you know, that was a real world problem. And that's what gets you out of bed in the morning. Yeah, because I see that there's also been another other ventures that you've, uh, that you've been in, involved in. I mean, from Everchock as well to what's the other one there? Yeah, I mean, in Naku. In Naku, yeah. Um, your real African so lens. But, but, so, uh, that's, actually, that's my big, yeah. Yeah, I was like, that's my, that's my big focus at the moment. The thing that's, that's the one that gets me out of bed. Mm. 
Um, the the quick story there. You know, we know you love stories. So <laughs> we getting the motor going, getting it running, based in Pretoria. I ended up moving up there with my wife, but we didn't have a support network. We didn't have friends in Pretoria. Um, well, she, my girlfriend became my wife. We got married while we were in Pretoria. I love it how you keep on putting um, that as, as reference as well. Hey, it's like uh, a just, it's like a disclaimer. Yeah. <laughs> you know, in the situation where you're like, my, my, I want to thank my wife and my girlfriend. You know, yeah. They're the same person. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we were in Pretoria. My wife was going to divorce me if we stayed in Pretoria any longer. No, we had we had to get out. Um, and we decided at a whim to go spend some time in PE. And we arrived in PE and realized, you know, it's actually, you know, it's like East London. It's a great place. Um, you know, not as good as East London. But uh, it's still a good place. Amen, man. Um, and uh, we realized there were a lot of software developers there looking for work. So we found a house, um, hired a couple of software developers, and started building Avatar. And it really became a, the software dev, like a dev incub, uh, a dev house for young students coming out of MMU or NMU um, looking for work. And then from there, we would sell to corporates. And it was a, it was definitely a. It was a place for young software developers to get experience. But at the same time, while we were looking for work to keep these devs busy, I started getting to know SAFA, South African Football Association, and realized that they had the most interesting software problem I could ever imagine. And, and that problem was that, that it's the biggest sports in the country by far. I mean, like 3 million amateur football players in SA, like 27 million fans. You know, almost everyone you meet is passionate about football. The problem with football is it's a big federal structure. So you've got a head office, you've got nine provinces, 52 regions, 342 local football associations, and like 30 to 40,000 clubs at the bottom. Being football, being competitive, you know, the problem with a football tournament is it's a zero sum. You know, you've got a winner and a loser. And as a result, everyone in this federal structure like distrusts everyone else. Everyone thinks the other guy's cheating. Everyone, so it's particularly at the bottom, it's, it, there's a lot of, uncoordination there's no centralization there's no economies of scale you know you've got lots of football clubs who buy their kit individually which means they're paying full price where you know they could be paying massive discounts um there's a lot of cheating in the in the sport because you know when it takes all so what we did is we approached off and said let us try solve this football problem you know we'll work out how to like, fund it but let's let's do a quick pilot and we launched an initiative to register school football players with the aim of solving age cheating. You know, the, the best player under 15 team is probably going to be 17. So like, how do we, you know, make sure they're all 15. Um, launched a pilot, it worked, and then we unlocked some funding from FIFA. And what it did, it allowed us to, to ramp up and scale. And we built the software solution that allows software to run amateur football in SA. So administrators and clubs, um, and Every player we register gets plugged back into FIFA. So the global um, FIFA initiative is they want to register every football player in the world. And the reason is, is they've got a, they're setting up a bank called the Clearinghouse to facilitate the payment of fees from professional clubs to amateur clubs, clubs that develop talent. So if a football club develops the next Messi, the club that buys the player is supposed to pay a fee to the club that develops the talent. The problem is that fees hardly ever paid because you know no one knows who played football where. Mm. So we, um, so that was, that was the background. So we launched the Holy software and it's done extremely well. Holy moly! We um, as a result of Ignaku and the support of Safa, two percent of all football players registered with FIFA now come from South Africa. 
Holy moly, Craig. Damn, son. Um, this we, is... We've got about 15... We've got about 15,000 clubs in SA using the software, directly or indirectly through the software structures. And what we're doing is the way we make money, but also the way we make a difference, you know, try marry those two, is we're turning football clubs into sustainable businesses at scale, like the local ones. And we're unlocking the economies of scale. We are, we're unlocking the, the group benefits that this network of clubs that spreads to every corner of the country has. So you you literally you literally are solving w- real world problems. And there's a nice thing about solving problems in football because there's there's indirect and direct problems. You know the direct problems is you make the sport more fun. Yeah. You know you, you get more people to play, you increase participation. The indirect problems you're solving is things like gangsterism. It's mm-hmm. um it, it's it's a lack of motivation in a lot of communities. It's there's a lot of social ills that come from not having functioning sport. Mm. Um, yeah, absolutely, it, man. If you can find a way to keep, to, it's a sports has the amazing power to inspire a lot of people, and mm. you, you can get it running better, and you can help clubs, um, you know, become sustainable, financially sustainable. It means that you know that football, the wave of football, just keeps improving, improving, improving. Yeah, and you know if you can keep a couple of kids on the perch and you know not on the streets, yeah. it's already a success. But it seems again that you go, we go back to you're always looking at to it's always looking to solve problems, real world problems. Is that something that you you kind of find it? You look at it and you say, well, you know, because you're not short of real world problems, but you kind of look at things and saying that's a problem. I want to try and sort it out. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's not a. You know, I don't see the. I don't see the broken fridge and go. I want to fix that. You know, that's yeah. a, there's, there's certain problems that I want to solve. The, the problems that excite me are the ones that can get scale. Mm. You know, like the Molo's got half a million users. Mm. And it's, it's one of the biggest, most downloaded apps in South Africa ever. In Aku, we've got seven hundred thousand registered players. You know, we, mm. we manage two and a half thousand football matches a week across SA. So the problems that really excite me are ones that can use software and particularly mm. can use software in a way that scales. Yeah. Where you don't have to have big teams, you don't have to be putting infrastructure in place to roll out impacts um, like across the board. Mm. Most and definitely. What does, and, and it, what it does on this, the commercial side, you know, keep trying to marry this, you know, change the world and make money is your unit economics become very exciting. Mm. where you can stretch out the same piece of code but you know the difference between 10 people and a million people there's actually very little difference mm. which means that the entire cost gets spread out to a larger base which means you don't have to make a lot of money from lot from individual people to make it sustainable mm. yeah yeah that's that's which amazing is- no I, I love that that type of model but it's also looking at and saying how, how does tech you know how does tech because tech is the future how do we use tech to solve these problems how do we use tech to, you know, build this digital infrastructure? Because I mean, that's the beauty of tech is like literally, you can you can access it, you can develop it anywhere in the world. Exactly, it's not. It doesn't need to be stuck in the boundaries we've created. Hundred mm. no, percent. We would love to. Our football software would love to roll that out to Zimbabwe or you know Botswana or. You know, it, um, you know, it, it doesn't have to stop at the bounds that we've created. Mm. 
Absolutely. And I think that's and the best part is we don't have the same people there. You know, yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah. And I think the, the, the nice thing about tech is that it's literally breaking traditional barriers. I mean, anything is becoming accessible. Anything is now like it's, it's crazy to think where how our kids are going to grow up compared to how we grew up. You know, they're going to be like, oh, geez, dad, you and you and Ryan did a Zoom call. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> you know, you know, this, we didn't have the hologram. Or the, yeah, exactly. Didn't have the, the VR goggles. <laughs> But um, it's even now, like I find it, uh, my dad, out of all the success he's done, I still have to go and set a Zoom meeting up for him because that's really too technical for him. I'm, I'm just scared that my kid, I'm, I'm going to be in that position asking my kid to do things that I find that are so challenging. That's a scary part. For those that don't know, I know that you are also passionate about kayaking. And, you know, did you ever find what you learned in kayaking uh, taking into the business world i'm sure look one of them is taking the risk you know literally going through the turbulence and you'll be able to make it through but what are through the kayaking was there anything that you look back at now and you're saying that that conditioned me to head into the business world with a more focused more well-rounded approach that's a good question at the time i wouldn't have said so but looking back, it definitely did, particularly on this idea of dealing with brisk. Mm. You know, we, the, the, the kayaking I was involved in, we were paddling waterfalls in like funny parts of the world. I was involved in a trip into Laos to go explore a set of rivers that have never been paddled before. Um, paddled some really big waterfalls in weird parts of the world. Um, and I was lucky enough at the time to, you know, sort of the early GoPro days to get a free, uh -huh. Go, free, free GoPros from GoPro to go to take some cool photos. Mm. But, the you know the question everyone asks is you know aren't you aren't you scared and you know what if go, something goes wrong and that's something that is always in the back of our minds mm. and the translation to business is your risk in paddling a waterfall or a big rapid is not dissimilar to like you know stepping off a cliff and trying to start a new business you know, you you always trying to manage particularly the downside risk mm. you know, you're trying to make sure you know things might go wrong but they're not going to go that wrong. You're always trying to minimize, you know, what is the worst case scenario and always trying to pull that forward into something that enables it. Um, that, that means that the worst case is not going to be so bad. You know, in the kayaking world, it's you wear a helmet, you wear a life jacket, um, you try to be a little bit fit and when you've had a little big rapid, you put a friend of yours at the bottom to try to rescue you if something goes wrong. You know, you're managing downside risk the whole time. And, mm. you know, in business, we're doing the same thing. You know, Absolutely. You, you're trying to make sure that you're, you, you want to you take risky bets but none of them should wipe you out mm. and you're also using risk to maximize your surface area for luck yeah you know, absolutely you, you, you can't your luck is often a factor of how much risk you're willing to take mm. so you've got to get this luck is a, is a balancing act 100 percent. because the one thing i knew when i looked at it i said this i can tell you now this stems deep down from the kayaking days that ability, you know, I'm sure there's been days the, in the kayaking world that you've actually said, oh man, is it, you know, it's, it looks tough. That looks flipping dangerous. But the thing is that you, you show up and once you jump in, you're in. And I think that to me is such a, a good um, sort of uh, correlation between the business world to say, you know, you can literally stand and look at the business world, how turbulent it is. But until you get in that water, you know that's where it all starts 
and the journey it's yeah, never yeah. gonna yeah it's never gonna be smooth but what happens though is that just make sure you've got the you know the right safety equipment know how to go through, um, you know how know how to manage the turbulent times but at the end of the day you will get through to the end um, the end the end goal of the red carpet that to me was yeah that to me was i knew the element of risk that was the one thing you know because i'm sure as in business same like kayaking you've been faced with oh man you know i don't know if i'm going to make it out of here but i'm you know what i'm going to get in the water i'm going to try it's yeah but you never know what's really going to happen until you're in the water it's the same as business you actually never know what's going to happen the next day until you know the day starts did yeah, you find it's it, always going to be emergencies yeah did you find it gave you that courage going into the business world as well to face it it gave me a little bit of confidence knowing that we can solve problems mm. and it, there will be times when you're sort of over your head and you've bitten off too much you can chew but the worst thing you can do is like paddling down a river the worst thing you do is try to stop now as soon as you try to stop real like bad things really happen now, so you have to have a little bit of commitment yeah um and it translates very well yeah and i think also i'm sure you've had your fish of bumps and bruises and injuries but it's never stopped you you know that you're going to take on and off yeah. the water <laughs> <laughs> and that you you literally you know you recover you heal up and you go and face the day it's exactly to me the same as business when you get beaten up bloody nosed you know you live to fight another day tomorrow you know and that to me is the beauty of it because i was watching a couple of your videos i can't remember where but i'm even from the early days I thought you were absolutely crazy man you know that literally living on the edge and then as i as i watched your career uh go from strength to strength i knew deep down that you you know whatever risk you were facing you had the courage and you know you had the strength to get through it's the same like with with me and iron man you know i said i've gone through that journey and you realized um your your your, your true character what you made of like it's the same like if i head out into the world I don't know what's um what's going to be lying ahead but the iron will that I developed from going through the tough uh dark places in iron man has conditioned me to say you know what? I'm going to show up I'm take, take give it one more yeah. step just just keep taking one more step keep 100% going. and you know even when the full iron man that's what literally got me through is I was counting the steps at the end I was going 1 2 3 1 2 3 and I had a, and I had a half an hour sleep the night before I was actually saying that um I might be the first guy that's ever going to do a full iron man on no sleep. <laughs> and um yeah. I I realize yeah, and that's it, you know, and how that's helped me is if I'm going through a bad patch or if I'm going like if tomorrow is going to be stressful or this and I can't really sleep, I just say to myself, you know what? I've done a full iron man on half an hour sleep. And as soon as I think on that, I'm like how bad can tomorrow be? You know, and it's these small little elements in life you know that you take that you take out and you actually look when you reflect on business you pay tribute to those lessons that you've learned so from when you first started employee number 1 to where you are now what has been one of the elements or what has been one of the things that you've learned the most about yourself so well, that's also a good question you you're throwing out the zingers today um yeah, i think a lot of this what we've spoken about already Now you, you've got to sort of step in. You've got to take the leap of faith. Also, got to have the people. The thing that I probably realised the most is you've got to have people around you who you can rely on. And you can't do it all alone. Mm-hmm. Now, in your case, doing Ironman, you would never be able to do the training. You'd never be able to do the race without Roxy. 
Yeah. You've, you've got to have these people around you. And it's, it's not a case of you versus the world. It's you, a team, versus the world. Mm. Or trying to fix the world. Yeah. And it's creating those environments as well. So if they're going back to what you what you what you're looking at and what you're doing is literally solving problems. So if the environment or that infrastructure is not there, well, let's go and create it. To me, one of the biggest things that's pushing me forward in this venture is to create this space, you know, for these stories, for this platform to thrive on because it's not there, you know. And I think as entrepreneurs, we go and look at it and say, well, if it's not there, well, how do we go and create it? And uh, yeah, that to me is something that I've, what I've learned about myself is generally quite, quite a compassionate person. I've always, funny enough, now that you reflect on it in life, that's saying that I've always wanted what's best from for everyone else. And that's always how it's been. From playing rugby back in the day to coaching rugby and water polo, that's how it's always been. Yeah, we were the same rugby team at one point. No, I know. I was a lot thinner and a lot faster. You know, so <laughs> I'm sure you still as fast. So, so, Dude, no you, you, you look like you haven't <laughs> aged. That's the thing. You probably developed some sort of skin cream or something. You know, but when I it's looked at you, just the light. No, yesterday. But um, and um, what do you? So, what do you think the the biggest challenge for entrepreneurs into in today's time is? I think the biggest challenge for entrepreneurs, particularly in South Africa, is access to this digital world. And we so solved this internet problem in Esther. We we opened up so many more opportunities for more people to, to enter the entrepreneurial market. Um, that and most entrepreneurs, most people who become entrepreneurs either do it because they you know, want to, and that's sort of my case, or because they have to. And a lot of people, particularly the youth in many communities who don't have the opportunity to, to enter a, a normal career, they, they end up doing like side hustles that become only hustles, not because of, you know, they want to do it, it's because they have to do it. And we've got to find better ways to support those people. You know, the people who it's, and if they don't get their problems right, they start. And how, so, how yeah, and how, how key is it also the self, the self-confidence and the self-belief? Because also, I'm sure when you started as well, you, you had to be your, your number one supporter. You had to back yourself in this journey. You, you've got to believe in what yourself, but you've got to believe more than that. You've got to believe in what you're doing and everything else falls into place. Mm. Um, if you can, you believe that you've got a chance of getting what you're doing right, that that's what should be getting you out of bed in the morning. Mm. That's uh, having a lot of belief in yourself and not believing in what you're doing is going to be pointless. Yeah. Believing in what you're doing and not believing in yourself. It's a big step in the right direction. Mm. And understanding also that it's bumpy along the road as well, especially starting off. It's never going to be easy. Yeah, it is. Try, try and make it fun. Yeah, sure. And you got to also, I think for me, trying to also understand that, you know, everyone's in and everyone's fearful of failure, you know, but failure is part of the is part of the formula. That's the thing. You know, we try and live in this world where everything's like almost in a, in a perfectionist um, light. But you got to understand, I think fa failure is part of the process. Failure is a stepping stone to success and failure also helps you as an individual grow. Yeah, then you raise some, there's something I've been thinking about quite a lot lately, which is the people you surround, you, you want to surround yourself with people who've got skin in the game. You know, people who, if something goes wrong, will lose something. You know, there are a lot of people in our world who 
you know, overly mitigate risk. You know, there, you know, there are a lot of consultants out there who have got no vested interest in the success of what they're consulting on. Mm. There are a lot of people who criticize people who take risks without taking any risk themselves. Mm. And you, you want to surround yourself with people who, if things go wrong, they will also, they've got something, you know, they've got something on the block. Mm. So they it's, 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 um, it's something I'm starting to believe more and more as I get older is you want people in your world who will feel pain if something goes wrong with you as well. So you, it's a nice way to line everyone up, but it also shows you who the real people are in your world. Absolutely. Okay. I couldn't agree with you more because, you know, you've hit the nail on the head. As I've, as I've said, started this journey, the people that I've met from the beginning have been so nice and so, you know, accommodating and so wanting what's best. I actually thought that at some stage there's a catch. You know, I said, no, these people are so, these, there's something wrong. These people are so nice because remember coming from the trans guy and coming from property and coming from development, it's brutal. You know, you're just a number. Yeah, that's, just a, a, that's a hard industry. And I'm saying coming, coming into this, this business world and saying the tech and the development and the entrepreneur, you realize that as much as entrepreneurship is a solo journey, there is such a collective bond between entrepreneurs. That to me is such a beautiful thing that comes through out of all the entrepreneurs is that when we talk about stories, everyone can relate like, oh, yeah, 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 I've, I've done that. And oh, you know, tell me about it. You know, you know, that when we talk about the financial stress of, you know, that last week of shopping at the month, you literally tally everything up and you just check your SMA, you just check your bank account. And then you have to say, <clears throat> yeah, okay, maybe that'll wait until next week because people can relate to that. You know, they can understand the tough times. They can understand the um, you know the the emotional roller coaster that goes with it and it's something that's also from people that i've interviewed um they have also mentioned that's why it's beautiful what you've just said because it becomes a common language one of the ladies that i interviewed was saying creating that environment and creating or working with the right people and she also mentioned we've got to look at working with people that are two steps ahead of you because what they will do is that they will bring you forward. Uh, a lot of us tend to work where, with people where we are two steps ahead and people are trying to bring us back. And I was like, man, that is that's such a good analogy. But it's creating, it is. I think it's, it's, it's spot on what you said. It's creating that support network. And how much of that support network from your family has been critical to your success? No, it's been absolutely critical. Now we... A lot of talking about that mitigating downside risk. And I was lucky enough to have parents who supported what I was doing. And you know, if things really, really went wrong. I could you know move back in with them. Mm. Uh, it really made a big difference. It it allowed me to take more risk. Mm. And it's hard to think that a lot of people doing what we're doing don't have that sort of fallback. Um, it, it's a, it, there's a there's a lot of people often underestimate how much luck there is in what we're doing. 100%. I couldn't agree um, with you more. And back to your point about, you know, entrepreneurs and people involved in the space, how supportive they are of each other versus people in property. It's possibly because the, you know, property is very much a zero-sum game where you're competing against, you know, one building, you're competing against one piece of land or competing for one deal. Where in entrepreneurship, it's not usually zero-sum. You know, you and I can both win in what we're doing and by you winning it it makes 
me do better and like vice versa. Absolutely. Um, and you find all these people who genuinely want the other, genuinely want other people to succeed because it lifts the sort of, it rises the tide for everyone mm. in our sector. But is that also and because, is that, is that also because of a compassion aspect? I think the compassion comes, you know, it is compassion, but it's also the, we're not threatened by each other and we go through the pain and suffering and we want other people to, we don't want people to go through pain and suffering in the hard times. We've, mm-hmm. we've all got lessons, we've all got these stories we want to share because, you know, we like sharing them, but also because we want people to not make the same mistakes we've made. Absolutely. Or we want people to, we want to relate. Mm. Um, and it's a, it's a, it's a nice, it's a nice sect to be in. It's a nice world to be in because you've got everyone trying to do the same thing. Yeah. Reach the same sort of target. Hey man, yes, you're speaking, speaking good stuff, Craig. I'm like getting goosebumps now. And that's generally, a, that's generally a good thing. Yes, man, it is. It's, I love these type of chats. Craig, I promise you, your CV, like I said, when I looked, when I looked at it, I was going to announce it in the beginning, but then I thought, oh, no, let me, I'll, I'll be doing myself a disservice as well. But it's, it's amazing, man, to see the work that you've, that you, that you've done, that you're doing, that the mindset of, you know, where, you, where you're going, it's, it's inspiring, man. And like I said, I was always going to get this interview done one way or another, and I'm glad we have. Um, I think it's fantastic. I think it's inspiring. And I wish you nothing short of success and happiness for everything that lies ahead for you, my brother. Thanks, Ryan. You're, you're way too kind. And I'm very glad we got this opportunity to talk and I hope we do it again soon.